Hello and welcome to season seven of Friday Night Fright, the podcast Fright Show on Friday Night. I'm your host, Ian Austin, and a teaser of what to expect in this episode, the first episode of season seven, not season six, season seven. So Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, I'm going to review that. I'm going to talk about video game The Chant. I'm going to talk about Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, which isn't horror, but could be horror. And I'm going to talk about some other things, but those are the three main things. And that's coming up right after a word from our sponsor, if Anger hasn't cancelled my sponsor, because apparently they're querying, they suspended my monetary function, despite the fact that I've never taken money out. That's coming up after a brief word, hopefully from sponsor. Hola, cool cats and kittens, it's okay, I'm bringing that back. I'm here again after our commercial break. If the ad played and I did, just turn the light switch off. And I'd like to reintroduce myself because there's some people who listen to this podcast for the first time, I presume. Some people who haven't listened for a long time. And some people in between. But I need to introduce myself or reintroduce myself, as it were. My name's Ian Austin. I'm 37 years old. I've made four horror movies, including the Bubba Batchin series, which is available on Projector, Cube Stream. Nation Network, New Village Video, YouTube for free, because I'm that sort of man, and WordPress on my website, bubbabatchenthemes.com. Search for Bubba Batchen, I'll put the word, exact wording in the description, and watch the movies, if pay for them, which is great, so I earn money, or just watch them if you can. But I want to point out, just throwing thoughts down, just ring up window. I am, obviously... By nature of that, an expert in field, but I'm an even bigger expert because I have two degrees from Bristol University, one in film and television studies and one in advanced script writing, which is a postgraduate master's. So I'm an expert in all things. And I'm also someone who can ramble for a long time, which is good for podcasts because if you can't ramble in podcasts, what can you do? I'm also a man who was shopping earlier this week in Iceland slash food market, cut my finger open on one of their rails, trying to stop bleeding, walked up to the counter and was complimented on my exorcist hoodie, but I didn't really have my side of conversation down pat because I was bleeding and I couldn't say I'm bleeding, please assist me. I had to be display some toxic masculinity and be like, it's okay, you know. Cut, it's fine, it's all good, because I'm an idiot and can't think fast on my feet. But that's who I am, and that's the perfect personal podcast for you. Accordingly, if you could see me now, move my arms in a re exaggerate fashion, which is okay. But that's who I am. I'm an aspiring scriptwriter, and my day job is not scriptwriting. Ha <laughs> although I wish it was. But there you go, that's me. If you're still listening at this point, God help you, but if you are... Cool, it's good, you know. This is a podcast which is quite weird and eccentric, much like my TV, it's like this skew. Um, and much like my TV, it's sort of against the wall, but not really. I should probably move my TV. On this week's episode, I talked earlier in the preview teaser bit about what was going to be covered, and that is what is going to be covered. Um, shit, I almost dropped my TV. <laughs> um, I'm going to also cover Walking Dead Because I've been watching Walking Dead recently But firstly, I want to talk about how strange it is Being back doing this podcast It's been a year um, <laughs> Yeah, it's been over a year um, Why is it been over a year? Uh, because I was making movies And I'm very lazy And I didn't want to make podcasts anymore which is probably long-time viewers or listeners of which there's probably three or four are probably wondering, what happened in season six? 
season six would have been this year between last November and today, but it never happened. So, you know, we're doing season seven now. Um, we're the podcast which has seven seasons um, and season six is missing. Maybe, maybe in the future I'll go back to and cover the movies which came out of last year um between november 1st and november 1st but that's unlikely you're probably also wondering if you've been listening to this podcast for a while Ian, what happened it's halloween um it's not there i'm sorry guys four years in a row i did it i think but this year i just didn't but i will be doing halloween special at some point um which be covering halloween ends and uh, the fifth halloween movie (sighs) So it'll it'll be back. It might not be back to next year. I might do a special double. Um or I might do it at some point. I don't know. I don't think it's Halloween. We'll be back next December, hopefully. Um and I'm sure at some point I'll do a retroact special and then implying that it was always there but got lost in time or something. But there you go. But we're gonna to start today's episode off by talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And I know what you're all gonna say if you could say things to me if I did read comments, if there were in comments. Ian Black Panther Wakanda Forever is not horror. In which I'd say if you've listened to this podcast, you know it's barely about horror at the best of times. It's there's a lot of episodes of me just talking about random shit. And it's a Marvel movie, it's the big move out moment. So we're gonna be talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever and avoiding spoilers because you know it's definitely a movie you need to see. If you saw Black Panther the original, you obviously knew it was a very, very intense movie with some great acting from Michael K. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman and the entire cast, um, Winston Duke, Lupita. I can't, sorry, I'm not even trying to pronounce the surname because I don't have it in front of me. But great cast. And um, with this, but I think we'd all acknowledge that for that when the two Panthers fight, turns into a bit of a CGI slog, and then it's redeemed by a really, really powerful ending. But watching this movie, it's clear this... I wouldn't say it's more uh, uh, Ryan Coogler's style, this one, but I would say it's far more intense. It's not trying to be a big popcorn movie. There are popcorn elements, obviously. The stuff in Atlantis is mind-blowingly cool and very great good cgi um cgi on ironheart isn't quite so good but you know um at this point you just like they managed to fit that in to a complete different movie so marvel obviously isn't working on that process from the original iron man where tony stark looked breathtaking in the suit because it's relatively practical now it's more cgi because it has to be by necessity and it can't blend in uh, but generally, yeah, so it's not a popcorn movie, it's a very sad movie, and it feels very inspired by the passing of Chadwick, which obviously, for his family, is the worst thing, um, because great an actor as he was, they obviously knew him best, they needed him more than the rest of the did, but watching this movie, it really does feel at times like this worth being a different movie if he'd been in it. Um, There are some scenes with Namor and Shuri, which you can almost picture Chadwick doing a version of those scenes as T'Challa with Namor. And to an extent, yes, the movie does feel like it would have been even better if he was in it, because it would have been building off things 
from Black Panther and Infinity War and Endgame. Um, but Shuri is absolutely incredible as a character in this movie. The writing and acting and directing is so sharp. It's so fueled by their love for Chadwick Boseman and their want to continue franchise in his honour, which they really, really do. I know that sounds kind of trite, but they really, really pull that off. And generally, it's just... It kind of recalibrates Marvel Phase 4 because lots of people are trying to figure out what it was about. Um, they try and work out what the overarching themes were, what the overarching story was. And obviously, with Kang, there's a hint at Multiversal Saga. But Black Panther 2 really makes it into a simpler theme for the face, which is grief. If you actually go back and watch the movies and material and TV shows, they're all about grief. You know, it's all about the aftermath of of the snap um, or the blip and the fact that F1 is grieving. And it's kind of obvious in retrospect. But, you know, to actually think about shows, I mean, you've got Captain America, Falcon, Winter Soldiers dripping in it with the revolutionary flat smashers and their campaign. You've got one vision, obviously, Doctor Strange, um, moving on morning, Spider-Man, Jesus Christ, both Spider-Man movies. And, yeah, it's really heavy stuff. And I think it'll continue in Guardians, in, um, Guardians of Galaxy Holiday Special, which... From trailers, Reed did make it seem like Peter Quill was really in mourning almost for everything happened with Gamora and Infinity War and Endgame, which he still hasn't reprocessed, despite the fact that none of that was evident in For Love and Thunder. Although For Love and Thunder was very much about moving on, so technically, you know, not everything's going quite match the theme, but if you watch Eternal, Jesus, that's pounding with grief. Anyway, back to Black Panther 2, uh, specifically. So it's really, really, really good. But it's not... A, it's got big, bombastic moments, but it's not a blockbuster. It's a very personal, intense, tragic story with an unbelievable... Like, the Namor as a character, they've nailed that character. The only thing they didn't nail was Namor on com- comics wants to screw everything, but I'm sure they'll get there. But they nailed that character, and it really makes me think, between Killmonger and, and Namor, Ryan Coogan has to introduce Doom. That's just, he has to. He's the best, he's got two and two for villains. And honestly, let him do Secret Wars. He's an unbelievable director um, and writer, and just let him make whatever he wants to make at Marvel. Just give him carte blanche. It's so good, and just, the whole movie is just this harsh, brutal experience in the best way. And going back to what I said, it's not necessarily one which you'd rewatch a lot, though. I hope people do because they'll make lots more money and they'll make more movies like this. But for experience, it's like a f- movie version of cap- capturing all of that sadness about Chadwick and putting, or F1 part from family, but capturing that and using it in a movie to sort of let the actors and writers and directors deal with their loss. 
I know lots of people are saying, hey, man, well, Killmonger should be the new Black Panther. Michael B. Jordan, he's just come from another reality. And it's like that maybe down the line, but that would be stupid shit in this movie. And also, if you're expecting a big, momentous post-credit scene in this movie, like the rumours that came out about a certain character, it's not there, and it shouldn't be there. And in retrospect, it was a stupid idea to even put that out as rumour, because this is not some movie to have that shit. This is a really complex movie of some deep, dark undertones, you know, and also, it pushes forward, I won't go into too many spoilers, but it gives context to where the MCU is going. Because obviously we have the Can Conqueror stuff. Um, and this movie points out there's another undercurrent that's running through several properties, which is an interesting thing to do. And some people say, oh, it's a bit like Iron Man 2, where it's throwing too many crooks into fire, or it's throwing too many logs in fire. And it's like, you know, why not? I mean, this does it pretty smoothly, and it ties in for the movie, and... It's got some cool twists, so and it leaves the universe in a very interesting way um, going forward. Marvel clearly knows what they're doing, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really, really good movie. If you're on fence about watching it, I'd absolutely go see it. It's long, but doesn't feel long. The acting's incredible, the writing's top-notch, the directing's top-notch, and yeah, um, I would rank it as the best superhero movie this year, and... I don't want to start DC versus Marvel War, but I think it's kits the arse of Batman, to be honest, you know, because they threw some jokes in. You need some jokes here and there. You know, Umbaku is, has some hilarious lines, but also deals with love pathos in the movie too. Again, I'm not really going to go into spoilers, but definitely watch Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. You'll meet, not be disappointing. If you are disappointed, I don't care. And now we're back. Paranormal Activity Next of Kings. This won't be a long review, but I've watched all Paranormal Activity movies, including Japanese one, and I have to actually be honest, I do like this franchise. Yes, it's a bit messy in points. Yes, the found footage stuff is a bit ridiculous and stretches the points of credibility. And yes, there are certain writing and directing and even acting choices don't make any sense. And the more they explain about Toby, the stupider it gets. But on the other hand, it's nice to have a horror movie franchise which does something different. Much like my Bubba Batchin movies, which you can find at various places. This feels like a very unique, eccentric and bizarre franchise. And Paranormal Activity Nets of King is a sort of reboot. But apparently it's in continuity of the other ones, which doesn't quite add up, but that's fine. The original movie is, of course, called apart from Japanese one, told the story of Katie and Krista, Chris, Krista, uh, two kids who um, became adults and were haunted by ghosts. Katie became evil and started trying to raise an army of witches um, to resurrect a, an ancient demon who all kids call Toby, but apparently is one of the seven knights of here or something i don't know it's all stupid all best of franchises are ridiculous and at the end of paranormal activity ghost dimension after a failed exorcism um toby in 1992 possessed a human body and that was the last we saw of 
Toby and, and then they release panel, Matt Tiffany, Nets of King, which deals with a woman trying to find her long-lost mother and Amish rescue. It all goes disastrously wrong because it turns out to be a trap and, uh, again, not really going to go in spoilers, but the joy of this movie is it's really, 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 really dumb, but also really, really, really tense. And those two things are mutually exclusive. You can make a really, really dumb movie and it's really, really tense, and they do it in this one. They sort of embrace the fact that technology's moved along a bit, although not much, and they play with some conventions of format. But fundamentally, it's just... an tense movie and it's on paramount plus um that's why this episode's called i scribe paramount plus i got a three months trial of paramount plus and i thought oh i watched paranormal activity next king and uh, yeah I, I really enjoyed it i think you have going thinking paranormal activity franchise has gone off the wire in terms of mythology and it's gone really up so ass. and this movie sort of streamlines its back to a nice approach where the characters are stuck in one location through contrivances they can't leave, and they discover more and more of the mystery, and as they go deeper and deeper, we get a few twists on format. We get um, spelunking um, down the cavern. We get some weird kind of, like, possessed monsters. We get some new rules, and we get some terrifying villains in the Amish who aren't actually, who aren't actually Amish, so, you know, there are some twists in this, but, yeah. And we also get a great scene. One of the things I love about horror movies like this is the weird random scenes they'll throw in. Like, we find out a lot... Of, one of the big revelations we find out is from a mailman who just casually drops the revelation, you know, which is great. It's a really fun scene. We get um, some, ten some very tense sequences, some very creatively tense sequences. And I know a lot of people criticise the movie, but I'm like, they moved outside of the format where it's just a house. Which, as I found, makes my movies can be very limiting creatively. In this movie, you get a house, you get a church, you get a bar, you get a field. And you also get a recreative ending. Um, but unfortunately, now I'm going to go into spoilers. So if you really, really don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now. Okay, if you're still here, spoilers coming. So this movie reveals that Toby is actually Asmodeus, one of the night one of Satan's knights. Um here's the only thing. Paranormal Activity Ghost Dimension ended with him possessing a body in uh, apparently the same character with Toby Asmodeus possessing by Night Night Two. But this movie, um the main female character her mother left the um, the cult when she's pregnant and dumped the baby off. And then she's possessed, I think, and turns into a demonic entity of some sort who chases them throughout the last act. But then they talk about how they want, I think, Sarah, whatever, the female lead, um, Rachel, something like that. They, she's possessed um, by the... They won't possess her of the demon, but she actually escapes, which there's actually a happy ending. Only one of the main characters dies and you have to escape, amazingly. Um, but the demon possesses the guy who lured them to the place. So as but then didn't he already possess someone night night too? Feels like maybe it's movie missing, or maybe it's a loose continuity or something. But then the ending's cool, because then he just murders a bunch of cops using 
forcing them, killing themselves, and then just drives off. And so, okay, cool, there'll be another movie. But apparently Blumhouse was responsible for this one, and they weren't happy with its quality, which is fucking rich coming from Blumhouse. Sorry about language, but Jesus Christ, those guys in their terrible fucking horror movies. Like, I, I think, were they Pine Smile? I can't remember their Pine Smile now. The Smile's made a lot of money, which is very, very cool, but Smile is three quarters of a good movie which falls apart near the end i would go back and review it properly at some point but it really does fall apart near the end but back panel tiffany next king apparently the sequel to this is being written by oran Peer, the guy who wrote the first one and one of my favorite slot of movies chernobyl diaries which oh you got see chernobyl diaries so terrible but he's writing next one and it's about some college kids so Maybe you'll have connections to this one. I don't I don't know at this point. But, I mean, you, you have given them credit for at least trying to do something new with Paranormal Activity next skin. And I really I really enjoyed it. You know, if I catch you rate movies Paramount Plus, I'll give you a good mark. But I can't. Paramount Plus, get on that. You know, if you're on a sponsored podcast, I'm open to offers. But, anyway, get on it. Allow us to review movies. And also allow us to actually have a slightly more interesting user face because user face is very good and get Frasier on there already the new series come on hype up Frasier don't you anyway I'll be back in a second with some talk about video game The Chant and a discussion of my expectations for the new Dark Pictures game which is out today or tomorrow from when I'm recording this and I'll start playing on Monday I think yeah, and I'll be twitching, so hopefully. Anyway, I'll go more into that in a second. So, The Chant is a video game on PlayStation 4 and 5 and Xbox and probably more consoles. And it's kind of a Resident Evil E game where you play in a third person. You play in third person? Yeah, I think... Jesus Christ, I can't even remember... Yeah, you play in third person. What am I talking about? You, um, yeah, third person, because you can see it moving about. It's a um, game in that Resident Evil survival horror vibe, but it goes in a completely different direction, because Resident Evil, obviously, you have guns, and usually you have some ammo, although that very on game. And this one, you don't have guns. You have um, more... How to phrase this? Um, spiritual weapons. Like, you still use physical weapons, but, like, spiritual stuff, like, you throw salt, you burn a sage stick or something, and you swipe that at enemies. And it's a very, very intense game. I'm really, really enjoying playing it, but it's not difficult. It's just difficult to grasp because it's trying to go... I mean, in theory, it's going for a midsummer vibe. It obviously being a game, it kind of doesn't quite encapsulate that as it should. And I was hoping for more of a build up, some of the weirder shit. But the game just starts a weird shift straight away, which in some ways is cool because you're not faffed out for a lot of cutscenes. But I guess I was hoping for a midsummer game, and it's not really that. Although it's more midsummer than something like Resident Evil. It doesn't seem to be so much about killing creatures as banishing evil. But it's so intense and so weird. Essentially, the game sees you at a, a yoga retreat and a woman may or may not have died 20 years earlier. 
and there's some weird stuff going on. You find some weird files and things like that. In that regard, it's got a vibe of one of the Dark Pictures games where it's more about collecting information, find out what's going on than anything else, but you're not rewarded for doing it. I mean, you, you have bits of information, but in um, Dark Pictures, they really stamp home how much they want you to try and work out what's going on before they reveal what's going on. So the chance good. It's an enjoyable game. It's very different. It feels a bit wandery. Some of the levels aren't particularly hard, but you have to keep track of what information you find because it hits you feet monsters. Because unlike Resident Evil, where you can usually shoot everything and you just have to shoot it varying times um, to kill it, with this one, you don't really have that. Um, different weapon, different spiritual items do different things to different monsters some you have to push into beams and things like that and if you're half ass playing it like i usually do it's very difficult to figure out what to actually do um and also you know you need to constantly craft weapons and you do need to do in other games but unlike resident evil if you pick up a gun you can use that gun here you have to pick up a stick you have to pick up incense you have to pick up ember of salt and combine it all if you don't craft it properly, you're screwed. And you have to restart from the bit before that. So a lot of boss fights can take a while sometimes if you're not really paying any attention. But overall, I'd say it's a very enjoyable game. Uh, unfortunately, it came out in busy period of games because Gotham Knights came out, which is really, really good, although no time to play it. This has come out and Dark Pictures comes out tomorrow. I know a lot of people have been playing God of War Ragnarok, but I, I just I, I just don't have any enthusiasm playing that game. Um, and now on to Dark Pictures. Dark Pictures have been releasing games for quite a while. They're the um, a subdivision for the publishers which published Unto Dawn, which Unto Dawn is, oh my God. It's like took everything I love about Heavy Rain and made it into horror, which was so cool. And Dark Pictures um, was built off that being more smaller games, but one a year, which is pretty cool. And they're so much fun to play. And they're so much fun to watch other people play and get worked up and make bad choices because they're kind of choose-your-own-adventure games where you'll still get roughly to the same point however you play it, but the specifics will change um, and your gameplay experience will change. And also finding things. There's nothing more rewarding. There's a lot of times you'll hear characters talking background in these games and you'll just go and look at the information because that's more interesting. You won't find out what's going on. You won't uncover the mysteries. And yeah, they're really good games. And actually, because the last submassive really big like A1 style horror game was The Quarry, which I enjoyed. But I enjoyed these ones a bit more because they feel a bit more immersive. And I think this sort of game works better for my mindset. Although Quarry was very, 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 very cool and very, 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 very dark. In a lot of ways, it felt say, very similar to Unto Dawn. You know, um, but still really, really good. But this Dark Pictures, this new one, the trailer came out last year. It's called The Devil and Me. And Trey came out last year and I was like, I could not make head tell of what the actual plot of the move game was going to be. Since then, I found out about this set in a hotel and it sounds creepy as anything. But it's really intriguing because it seems like a bit of a departure from the other ones they've made. Although House of Ash was fucking dope, man. What a game. 
But I just love them. One a year, you play them, and it's like they, it's so cool. And I switch have more time off to play it, but you know, I got a bit of time off, so that's good. Well, not much. I'll be able to play on Monday for a bit, I guess. But I'm really looking forward to it. And on Sunday after I see the menu, which exclusive. Um, one movie's being reviewed next week will be the menu for this podcast. So I'll be watching on Sunday. I'll do a quick review when get home after it. And then I'll play some, um, what you call it, um, Dark Pictures Devil Me, which will be up on Twitch. And I'll put on YouTube at some point. You know, um, what I do is I tend to record it without um, microphone volume because, you know, whatever. And then I might add some later on because um, I don't have my PC with me. It's been fixed at the moment. But here you go. Anyway, that should be cool. And I'll be back in a few seconds to just talk about Walking Dead. And then that'll be the first episode of Season 7 of Friday Night Fright Sorted. Catch you in a sec. So it's kind of like an epilogue slash discussion. I've been starting getting to Walking Dead recently. Um, a recommendation, you know, of sorts. I used to watch it back in the day. I watched up to like season three or four. Uh, and I vaguely remember bits of it. But I start getting into it again because I'm a fan zombie stuff. Incidentally, um, if you can, the novelization from, of, um, oh, God, Dawn of the Dead is out again in Walkstones, and it is fantastic. It's so much fun to read. So definitely check that out. Uh, my voice feels like it's about good. Sorry, I'm yawning. Keep this quick. So, yeah, I'm jumping back in Walking Dead, and I'm up to episode three of season three, and I just have a few things to say. I'll be doing a bit of a coverage of Walking Dead every week. After I see each episode, I'll... Um, Trying to Ming review or review of the batch of episodes I've seen. But up to season three, episode three. And um, Laurie and Rick are terrible parents. And Carl is a horrible child. Um, this TV show is actually fascinating to recontextualize after the COVID pandemic. Because, yeah, society pretty much will break came somewhat similar to this in terms of the bad choices people are making and stupidity of people. Um, and I think if there was actually a zombie outbreak, stuff like that, this would happen because people are idiots when it comes to things like this. But it's so entertaining to watch these awful people. Like, great acting, don't get me wrong. Andrew Lincoln is an excellent actor, but Rick is an awful human being. Um... And it's all fascinating as you get further into it to realise that Shane was psychotic, but he wasn't wrong because the choices, like some of the choices he made were terrible, but like he very much summed out to them that like you have to make bad choices. And seeing Rick go more into that vein is actually fascinating from a character standpoint. Um, although God knows how you're going to get to 11 seasons. Um, but I also like the fact that well, not like that. The thing that amused me back in the days, people criticising, oh, they find somewhere, they stay there for a while, they find, then they move on, they find somewhere, stay there for a while, move on. I was like, they're fucking trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. These aren't smart people, but what do you think, what would they otherwise do? There is no place to place to go. You know, they're going to stay within the state they're in because they're not going to risk going outside of it, morons. 
Sorry, I could go some of my audience more on skin. But yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy Walking Dead. I think if you watch it in batches, you do get confused a bit. Like there's a season two episode where I must have blacked out at the ending. So I came back in the next one and Laurie was in car being dra- grabbed by a zombie. And I was like, why she in car? Apparently she crashed a car, tried to commit suicide, something I don't fucking know. And there's also some weirdness whereby season three starts and they say it's been 10 months since the pandemic started, the zombie one. But at the end of season two, they're right next door to prison. But then they aren't. Then it's been eight months and they're still next door to prison. But they're going house to house or something. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think you need to just roll with it. It's obviously cold. The kids are growing. Um, they didn't want to deal with a whole season of pregnancy stuff. So they thought they'd just cut and run, I guess. Um, season three, episode two is intense because Rick basically becomes a psychopath. I mean, we're, he's got a logic to him, but the way we've gone from Rick in season two where he's trying to do the right thing to season three where it's like, you know, fucking kill these, these prisoners who, are, who may or may not be a threat down the line is a bit jarring, but I think those eight months between season two ending season three starting... I get the sense Walking Dead is going to be doing that each season. So you're just going to have to roll with it where it's going to be like an ongoing thing. Each season um, starts a while after the next one and each season basically set a different year. So season one to set over two months and season three is set eight months later. So 10 months since the zombie thing started. In that regard, it's somewhat lost-esque. Um, and more cognitive of the fact that people are aging and they don't want to deal with pregnancies for a particularly long time in story, which is fine. It's just, you know, it feels like there's a lot of character development which we've lost out on. Rick is almost a new character. Um, Carl is almost a new character. Um, Herschel's only got one leg. <laughs> Fucking moron. And generally, but I mean, on the plot side, the, t- the unit, or the group, as they're called, is a lot more combat-savvy now, which makes sense. They've been doing it long enough. It's going to be interesting to see how they create new threats for them. Obviously, Governor Woodbury, which I was saying someone, I'd fucking go and live in Woodbury. Like, you know, be able to sleep, you know, in safety. And so like, the only thing is you can't go out of dark. It's like, that's fine. And I mean, yeah, the governor's weird and he's creepy, but who'd you rather be with? The governor is weird and creepy, or Rick, who is borderline psychotic? You know, you, you got to choose between them. But yeah, I'm enjoying Walking Dead, and I think I'll continue to watch the rest of the series and do little mini recaps of it each week. So there you go. Walking Dead recommended season three, episode three, the governor's backstory. They really dove into that fast, by the way. I thought they were going to spread out a bit longer. I vaguely remember them spreading out longer in the original run, although I probably misremembered. It's like time where I could have sworn in the movie, in one Fast and Furious movies, um, that Vin Diesel's character... Is Dom is driving long and it's cut off by someone on the road, so he screams, Get the fuck out of the way! And they do, but apparently, they never happened in any of Fast and Furious movies. But I believe it did, so I think that's like Mandela effect in play. I must watch the Fast and Furious movie for enough to mention where um, Vin Diesel's Dom told someone, Get the fuck off the road, and <laughs> Humpty Tong, um, which I maintain would be a better version of the movie, but there you go.
Anyway, I'll be back in a second to my epilogue and rundown of what you can expect next week. And here's the epilogue and what to expect next week. So next week's episode of Friday Night Right. Oh, that hurt. The menu. Um, dark pictures, the devil in me. Uh, a review sort of of the game. Uh, more Walking Dead stuff. I will be watching some other movies this week, which I'll comment on. Knives Out, Glass Onion, you'll get a review of that. And, yeah, any other random horror movies I watch, I'll pause for a second after I finish them and do a little review of them. Thank you for listening Friday Night Fright. I'll be back next Friday with episode two of season seven. And remember, life is beautiful and so are you. Good night and good luck.